Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin. I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying that helped them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Hi there, and welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions from the Bible, best as we can. We can't answer them if we don't have them. Now, we've got a lot here today, but if you would like to get a question to us, you're welcome to do so. You can email us at lineuponline at iiw.org. I'm not alone. I have my friend and colleague, Pastor Wes Peppers here. Wes, great to have you here. Great to be here, Pastor John, always. Looking forward to getting some good questions. Yes, sir. We always get some good ones. You know that if someone had this question, someone else has had the same question. That's right. And it was clearly important to them. It was on their mind, on their heart. Mm -hmm. They emailed us. So here we go. Absolutely. If God created the world perfect, then why do animals kill for food? Well, that's a great question, and he also makes out the point that you read in the Bible about heaven and animals won't be killing each other. Mm-hmm. Well, as it will be, as the Bible describes, it was. In the beginning, it was not as it is, and animals were eating uh, the grass and the vegetarian, but because of sin, the Bible says they began to devour one another. And also, after the flood, there was a, a great limitation, and so things just progressively got worse. So it's just a product of sin and, uh, you know, humans, figuratively speaking, devour one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nasty, nasty. So uh, don't lose heart in that. It's just it's just an impact of sin the upon the world. In yeah. the new earth, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. Yeah. No That'll problem. be amazing. Then. All right. Dennis asks, Revelation 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he's coming with clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Does this mean there is an additional resurrection? And an additional death. So, Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ rise, uh, and and Mm -hmm. the lost are dead, and so on. But here, it sounds like when Jesus comes back, there's a gaggle of people, those who are responsible for the crucifixion, Mm -hmm. who are raised, Mm -hmm. and then they would die as well. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, it seems to indicate that, and uh, that, you know, the Bible often will have exceptions that for certain principles that are that are applicable to everyone. For instance, death is asleep. When you die, you sleep. But then there's Moses and Elijah. And so there are they certain exceptions. Yeah, they were taken to heaven. This is another one of those exceptions where those who pierced... And who exactly are those people? Mm. We don't exactly know. But wouldn't you expect it would be the people responsible for the crucifixion? Yes. That's what I would expect. The priests? Yeah. Maybe some of the Roman soldiers? To us sitting here, it may seem a little... Really? That this would happen? But I think if you consider the drama and the impact and the scale of what happened at Calvary, we have no king but Caesar. Prophesy unto us, who was it that hit you? Mm. And so forth. It's not outside the realms of possibility to expect that or to think, to to entertain the idea that God may raise them from the dead to say, see what you missed. It would be amazing, you know, Jesus coming back in the clouds and who knows, but you could raise his hands and you see those scars. Yes. The very people that were driving the nails, the very people that were mocking will look up and see the scars, but also see the glory of God. 
And I mean, I think God's just doing that to reveal the point. Here was the Son of God in your midst, and you didn't recognize Him. And so, it'll be a profound thing. How all the details about it, the Bible doesn't give, but it does seem to indicate, in a general way, that this will be what will happen. Carol asks us: After the earth is recreated and the new Jerusalem comes down to the earth, is there still a heaven in space somewhere? So there are different types of heavens. There's the there's the heaven that's the sky, and then there's the heaven heaven that we think about. And the heaven that we think about is the new Jerusalem. And the Bible says in the earth made new, Revelation chapter 20, chapter 21, that that new Jerusalem will come down and settle upon the earth made new. And that's where God's people are going to be for a thousand years. We're going to be in that city, and then God will make it come down. When he recreates the earth, that will be the new capital of the universe. Yes, capital city moves down here. And so it doesn't seem like when the city comes to earth, there'll be some other place out there. Heaven is the new Jerusalem, and that'll be on the earth and will dwell on the earth for all eternity. Question from Chuck. If there's going to be no more sin, how can the devil and the false prophets be tormented forever, Revelation chapter 20? Well, let me have a crack at that question. It's a very good question. Um, In fact, the best thing I can do is turn there right now in my Bible, Revelation chapter 20. We begin in verse 7. Chuck, you've asked a really good question. You you know, Wes, we get this question. Very frequently. Frequently. Very frequently. And I I don't feel like we should say, oh, we did it six weeks ago, so let's not do it again, because it's obviously a hot question on people's minds. That's right. Um, Verse 7 says, when the thousand years are expired, we're in Revelation 20. Satan will be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So the question is about um, forever. That's in the next verse Mm -hmm. uh, where it says, and I should read this, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hey, listen, if you've not heard this discussed before, this is about to change your world. It might change your understanding of God. It might even salvage your relationship with God because there are some who believe that God is a tyrant and a torturer and he's not. So verse 9, they're devoured. Verse 10, they burn forever and ever. Those mm-hmm. are contradictory terms. Yeah. What's going on here? Uh, there's a there's a season of time of judgment that God has appointed, and that season of time is where the devil will receive his torment. Well, he'll receive his punishment, and so that season of time eventually comes to an end yes. when that fire burns out. Do we know, know how long that's going to be? We don't know how no, long know. that's going to be. Would it be a minute? It could be. Could it be an hour? Could be a thousand years. Could yeah. be a hundred years. Could it's, be whatever. We don't seem know. Seem likely that we're going too terribly long. Because yes. what's the point of that? But we yes. just don't know. Is it? Five minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, three and yes. a half hours. We don't know. But it's a season of time. And yes. how uh, people will say, well, that just sounds like you're just making something up. Well, no, because in Ezekiel 28, the Bible says that the devil will be turned into ashes. Turned into ashes. It says it right there. In Malachi chapter 4, it says the wicked will be turned into ashes. That's correct. So you put these verses together and you get the picture. Again, we've said this before. But that word forever is used multiple times in the Bible to describe an event that's already come to an end. That's right. You look in uh, Jude chapter 1, and uh, you find this uh, very interesting. People use this word everlasting fire, forever and ever, eternal fire. 
and it's used consistently to try to describe hell burning for eternity. But notice this in Jude, uh, there's only one chapter, so Jude verse 7, the Bible, well, let's back up to verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for judgment of the great day. Mm-hmm. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. There you go. An example to who? Yeah. Uh, an example to those who would afterward live ungodly, the Bible says. So they are the example they of are. eternal fire. And they experienced eternal fire. Well, are they still burning today? No. The Bible, the Bible even says, says, says specifically that they are ashes. ashes. And so it's very clear that eternal fire does its job. It burns people up. And the impact of that punishment or that judgment lasts forever. Hannah took her son Samuel yeah. to the temple yeah. where he would live forever. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, he's not still there. Yeah. Jonah went down, in the, Jonah. down in, into the sea. The earth and her bars were about me forever. Now, if he's referring to the time he was in the belly of the whale, it might have felt like forever, but it wasn't forever. He was only in the, the whale's belly for three days and three nights. Felt like forever. Forever was a relative term, and it seems apropos given the circumstances in which he found himself. So let's not think that forever means forever all the time like we mean it. Um, they were told that they were going to keep the feast days like um, the, 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 the Passover and so forth, the Feast of Tabernacles, forever, that forever. they would be perpetual. Yes. Well, no, just for as long as they needed to until Jesus yes. came, died on the cross, all of that was swept away. As long away. as it was relevant. Yeah, that was the forever. Yes. So for as long yes. as the time would last, that's what forever meant, and that's what it means in relation to hellfire. It'll burn forever for as long as it needs to, as long as it must, and then it's over, the wicked will be turned to ashes, and God, while just, and that's some pretty significant justice, Mm -hmm. isn't a torturer or a tyrant. Even if you don't realize it, if you believe that God takes some nice little old lady who just never really accepted Jesus, Mm -hmm. didn't want to go to heaven, otherwise lived an exemplary life, and says, sorry Gertrude, now you burn and writhe in agony for the next squintillion years. You don't really believe that, do you? Would you really? Mm. I don't think anybody believes it. Not really. Not in their heart of hearts. I wouldn't. I and mean, it's very difficult. Um, you know, an eternity of suffering for 70 years of life. Yeah. It's, just, it's just inconceivable. But I think part of the reason that the authors would use that phrase forever is because they really didn't know how long it would be. Because we're not told that. Correct. They're saying there's a season of time. Yep. It's, we don't know how long. And that's the word that they used. And, uh, but the Bible very clearly points out that it's not a literal forever. Hey, Wes, a really sensitive question coming from Sally. Sally asks, or states and then asks, I have a friend who is a homosexual, and she told me that she has never gotten any proof that the Bible says straight out that homosexuality is a sin. People only say to her, God created the man and woman. What more do you need? Does the Bible actually state, and I don't want to say, well, you can call it a sin. Just state that it's not the will of God. Listen, we know that people wrestle and struggle with this. 
We know that questions of a person's sexuality are really sensitive and very, very important questions. And we know that people can be very, very, very sincere about this and see it from different perspectives. So what we're about to share, we don't do so in a spirit of malice or unkindness, but we have been asked to say what we feel the Bible says. We've got just a minute. Where would you go? And then I've got one that I'll share as well. Sure. Uh, the one that I would think about is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. And, and I want to say that I had an uncle who was homosexual, and he ultimately died w- with HIV. And, mm. he, and it was a very tragic thing. It was a terrible loss to the family. So I'm very sensitive to this issue as well. Sure. But there's good news in this. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he starts off harshly, seemingly harshly. He says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Mm. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, or homosexuals, or sodomites. And he goes on with another list, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he puts that sin right in the midst of all the others, adulterers, thieves, and so forth. So it's not worse than others, but it is a sin. The Bible is clear about that. But then he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. And so he says that there is victory that can be gained. He yes. says, such were some of you, but you were born again. And so God says there is hope for this. There is not something that people have to be entrapped in. However we're born, we can be born again. Yes. And God can give us that new life. And so um, certainly that's a indicator right there that it is not something God approves of. But he offers hope as well. Yeah. In our conversations program, where I sit down and interview people and talk with them about their lives, we've done a couple of programs recently. Mm-hmm. One was with a man who for many, many years practiced a homosexual lifestyle. One was with a, a young lady who wrote a book about a family member who had shared mm-hmm. openly about his mm-hmm. uh, gay lifestyle and how God turned that around. So the idea that once you're this way, you have to stay this way, yeah. these guys can never change. Um, 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 it's just, it's not true. It's not true. And you just read, and such were some, some of, of you. you. Former homosexuals in the church. Yeah. Romans chapter 1, it says, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat or that meaning that the word M-E-E-T, appropriate or due. The word abomination is used in the Old Testament. But it sounds like we're ganging up or beating up. We're not. As Wes said, God just puts this sin in a list of sins, uh, all kinds of sins. Pride is an abomination. We are living in a world where we are being told that this is not just acceptable, but maybe even desirable, and it's okay. If you feel that's okay, then we're not going to take you to task. We have shared what the Bible says. It's only the Spirit of God that can bring conviction about this. We would ask you to consider the will of God and the Word of God and pray sincerely, Lord, what is your will for me concerning this? Follow God's leading. He will lead you in the path of the Bible and uh, you've you'll have the satisfaction, you'll have the joy of knowing that you've surrendered to God and you're allowing His will to be done in your life. Absolutely. All right, we thank you. We're going to be back in just a moment with more of your questions. If you have them, email us, lineuponline at iiw.org. With Wes Peppers, I'm John Bradshaw. More Line Up Online in a moment, brought to you by It Is Written. 
The clock ticks persistently. Every 60 seconds, another minute passes. Every 24 hours, another day. Every 365 days, another year is consigned to history. Life is governed by time. From the alarm clock that wakes you in the morning to the bell that rings to announce the end of class, there's no escaping the relentless march of time. Given that our time on this earth is limited, how can we best use our time? How can we spend our time in a way that encourages spiritual growth and draws us closer to the heart of God? Don't miss Time Well Spent. Learn how God intends time to work for you, to be your ally as you prepare for eternity. How do you find time for the things that you really want to do? And how do you find time for God? Time Well Spent. Brought to you by It Is Written TV. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides Online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. Every Word is a one-minute Bible-based daily devotional presented by Pastor John Bradshaw and designed especially for busy people like you. Look for Every Word on selected networks or watch it online every day on our website, itiswritten.com. We are really glad to have you with us on Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. With me is Wes Peppers. We are answering your Bible questions. And here's one, Wes, from Jason, who says, Please explain Genesis 3.15 and Ephesians 2.15 regarding enmity. Okay, why don't you take Genesis 3.15, I'll do Ephesians 2.15. Sure, we'll just, I'll just read that, Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. It's basically saying that God's going to put opposition between our seed and the devil's seed. In other words, that, op- that enmity was Christ. He was the one that stood in between us, and he gives us a, a love for his ways and a hatred for sin. And that was a gift from God. And ultimately, Christ would die upon the cross for us. And that was God's garden promise, so to speak, to say, I've not left you in your sin, but I'm making a way of escape. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul begins in verse 11, mentioning how the Ephesians were Gentiles. They were the uncircumcision. They were without Christ. They were aliens. They were strangers from the covenants. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. So there was a distance uh, between the Gentiles and Jesus. Verse 14, he, Christ, is our peace who has made both one, broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make of himself to one new man, so making peace. So the law of commandments and ordinances, the ceremonial law is gone. The enmity between uh, the Gentile believers and Christ, that's gone also because Jesus was the bridge to bring the two in harmony. God makes a new person out of the old Gentile and Christ, the enmity between them and righteousness 
And you could also say that Old Testament law of ordinances and sacrifice and so on, all of that is gone. That was clear. Yeah, I think so. In both cases, really, in Genesis and, and, and Ephesians, is in Genesis, Jesus is the enmity that stands between us and the devil and us and bringing us in harmony with God. Mm-hmm. He's doing the same thing in Ephesians. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. bringing us in harmony with God's will for our lives. Yeah, amen. Amen to that. Eloise writes that God created humans in two manners. Genesis one twenty six says God spoke them into existence. Genesis two seven says He made them by hand. You know what? I don't think that's accurate. Genesis one He didn't speak them into existence. No. He says, "Let us make man yes. in our image." He's just stating that He's going to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then He created the human being. You know, it's not like when He said, "Let there be light." This time He got down and yeah. He fashioned the man. That's right. Formed man from the dust uh, of the ground. It says. Yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is one for you, Wes. Will the concubines of the godly, this is written in quotation marks, biblical kings, Solomon, for example, be lost, while the ones who led them into sin will enjoy heaven? Now, that's an interesting thing to say about a concubine, that a concubine was living in sin by being wife number 387 of Solomon. Do you think that concubine was living in sin? No, I don't think so, because in that culture, they were not really given a choice. The king commands, and you obey. And so uh, many of those women, if if not all of them, were forced into that situation. They didn't really have a choice. And so I think those who led them into that will will not be enjoying heaven, but they will be held accountable for that sin and any cruelty that they inflicted along the way. So... Certainly not. I don't think that those women will be lost because of that. God is the judge. He knew their heart. They may have been faithful to God in every other way, but they had no choice. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's a difficult question to, to really ponder. But it's really no different than sex trafficking today. That's right. It's a sin, but those people are entrapped in that yeah. because of the force of others imposing on their will. I don't know what option. And I, when I say this, I mean, I don't know what option. I don't know, yeah concubine number 503 had. I don't know the selection process. Did they ask you to apply for the job or did someone say to her, listen, you're the king's 503rd concubine. I don't know whether there's a a way out of that. And um, not 100% sure about everything that was involved. Mm -hmm. When Solomon had that many wives and that many concubines, I don't know how much intimacy was taking place. Right, right. So there may have been a combination. There may have been some scenarios where they were totally forced and others where some had a cho- some kind of a choice. Don't really know. There might have been some situations when they were uh, little more than trophies and there wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot going on sure. physically between. Sure. What a terrible situation to live in. I think that's Very the answer horrible. to that question. David says if, or asks, if God didn't create Satan, where did evil come from? That's interesting. Evil had to be in existence for an angel to be evil. That's my thoughts, he said. If God didn't create Satan, where did evil come from? Now, we know God didn't create Satan. God created an angel. His name was Lucifer. Lucifer said in his heart, I will be like the Most High. I want to be like the Most High. We can't explain why he did that, but we know that he did it. He coveted the place of God, wanted to be like the Most High. That's where evil came from, because God gave to Lucifer, just like David did to you, to me, to Wes, freedom of choice. If you want to keep that surrendered to God, that's the very best idea. If you don't and you want to use that in a selfish way, you may. God won't uh, always intervene to prevent you from doing that. 
Lucifer sinned because he chose to. Frankly, it's the same reason people sin today. It's always because they chose to. Here's a question from Carlos. It's a hypothetical. Will a person still be saved if he or she has been faithful all their life, but in a moment of weakness, sinned and died right after without having the opportunity to repent? So, you know, hypothetical. Well, almost a similar story as Moses He was God's man all of his life. At the end of his life, he smote the rock twice. Now, he did repent before he died, but that's just a statement that God still saved him. So some people get nervous about that. You know, I think what God looks at is what's the pattern of the life. And, you know, if a person, you know, loses their temper and then in a moment they're in a car accident, God said, you know, if it had been 10 seconds longer, you'd have made it. You'd have confessed. But because of that, nah, we're going to throw you in hell. Hey, that's the trouble with these hypothetical scenarios. That's a difficult thing to say. Yeah, you're trying to concoct a scenario that makes it difficult for God, really. You're trying to paint God into a corner. Mm -hmm. And listen, uh, the question was, had been faithful all their life. Okay, let's let's take it. Had been faithful all their life. I don't know anyone like that. Yeah, but... Had you so that's the hypothetical as well, <laughs> but had they been, yes, how likely yes. is it that they're to get to the end of their life and decide in a moment, yeah, that they're going to turn their back on God? They've been, they've been, they've been developing the character of Jesus, yeah. I think that that's difficult, but I don't think you know if they accidentally lost their temper and then they died again, God looks at the heart, He knows the heart, He yeah. sees the course of their life. And he would know what their heart condition is. And he'll make the righteous judgment based on that. Amen. Here's a question for you. If a person sleeps when they die, what if, what if the body was blown up, cremated, or lost at sea? So there's two parts to the question, but we'll ask this one first. We don't have a whole heap of time. What if somebody's body couldn't have been buried? Well... I hope that God wouldn't, if I was blown apart, that he's not dependent upon looking for my body parts to put yeah. me back together. Yeah. He speaks us back into existence. He recreates us with a new body. He's not dependent upon the skeleton. God has a record of that person. He keeps track of it. He knows who they are. And when he resurrects all, they'll be recreated in the full image that they should be. Absolutely. The second part of Robert's question is, what is sleeping mm. if the dead sleep? Yeah. John chapter 11, yep. Jesus talks about Lazarus, his friend. He says, my friend Lazarus is sick, but I go to wake him up. The Bible says the disciples thought he meant that he was taking sleep. And then Jesus says to them plainly, it says, Lazarus is dead. Yeah. That's the clearest passage, I think. And there are many others that describe death as a sleep, an unconscious sleep when we die until Jesus comes and the resurrection happens. Completely oblivious to what's going on around us. Completely oblivious. No thoughts, no consciousness, no beating heart. Uh, It's the opposite of life. That's right. If if you go to a a funeral, and I was at one recently, a dear friend, and the body is in the casket, it looks very much like them. Yeah. But I could yell in his ear until I was hoarse. Mm. There'll never be a respond. He's dead. Dead. He's asleep completely unaware of anything going on around him. And that way is the best way. That is. Thanks so much for joining us. We have fun doing this. If you'd like to join us again, we we would welcome you to do so. If you'd like to submit a question, we'd love that too. Set it to the email address on your screen.
with West Peppers. I'm John Bradshaw. This has been Line Upon Line from It Is Written.